0: Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Scripture reading. Today, I'm actually going to be reading the little-known book of 3rd John, all of it, it's about 15 verses, so this is the third letter of John, and I'm going to read the whole thing. The elder to my friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health, and that it all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continued to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, went out receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so, and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. This is the word of the Lord. He can be seated. <laughs> well, this short letter is a beautiful, unique, and somewhat unknown piece of the Bible. It is the shortest letter in the entire New Testament. Most of the New Testament, as we know, was written to communities of Christ followers. But this letter was written to an individual whose name was Gaius. There's no mention of Jesus in the letter other than a kind of veiled reference in verse 7. And related to this, 3 John is considered to be a non-theological letter. Meaning the Apostle John is not expounding some important theological theme to try and persuade his readers or combat some heresy. In fact, this New Testament letter is really just a personal note. From the Apostle John to a friend he probably had never met named Gaius. And because Gaius was a follower of Jesus, he was seeking to live in step with the Spirit of God. He was hospitable to others. He was a fellow traveler in the way, as the Bible describes it sometimes. John considered him to be a friend. In fact, he calls him dear friend four times in this brief note. And I love the backstory of Third John. John had established churches in various places at some point in the past, and like all New Testament churches, they were house churches. So they met in homes. Their sanctuary was a fire pit, maybe, probably not, but maybe. After establishing these churches, John appointed leaders and elders, to give oversight to them, and he went off and did other things. And now a a guy named Diotrephes, try and say that quickly three times, he's causing all kinds of trouble in one of these house churches. He's turning people against John. He's undercutting John's authority. Diotrephes is on a power trip, and he wants nothing to do with John. He wants nothing to do with the people who come from John. And he's out there spreading rumors about John and about what John's up to. So this is one big, giant mess. And so John writes a note, and he sends it to his friend, Gaius. And the reason I love this is because it is so real to what actually happens in a church. Stuff happens. Conflict happens. Messes happen. And John is in the middle of one when he writes this letter to his friend. And so this personal note points us beyond kind of ivory tower theology that is disconnected from practical reality. This little personal note points us beyond church as a place or an address or an organization, and it points us beyond church as a Sunday morning worship service or as a weekday program, and it brings us back yet again to the profound importance of relationships in the life and soul of a strong and healthy church. And so relationships is our focus today. People who want to know God more, want to experience the life he offers, finding some degree of connection with other people who want the same thing. Last Sunday, as you may know, we began a series called Fire Pit Conversations. And the purpose of this series is real simple. Something significant happens when two or more people gather together around a fireplace or a fire pit and have a conversation, whether it is a campfire, beach fire, backyard fire pit, or living room fireplace. There's something about the setting that seems to foster honesty, relaxation, this kind of realness, and unhurriedness. People put their feet up, their guard comes down, the pressure releases a bit, and we are who we are a different dynamic than what happens in an office, or in a restaurant, or on a Sunday morning church service. So we started this series last weekend with the simple goal of having a bunch of these one-time conversations over the next several weeks around various fire pits and fireplaces throughout Folsom, El Dorado Hills, Orangeville, Mars, wherever they might occur. And last week we had sign-ups for seven groups with a maximum of 10 people in each group. And by the end of the 11 o'clock service, by the end of the morning, every spot was filled, and there were wait lists for most of the groups. And today there'll be new groups that'll be in the back that you can go and sign up for. And if last weekend was any indication, this simple idea of getting together face-to-face just once with a few other people around a fire for a meaningful conversation about an important topic Scratches and an itch, it seems, a lot of us have. And I don't think the desire is unique to Christians, nor do I think the desire is unique to church people. I think there are people in today's chaotic culture who are searching for substance. And they're especially searching for a context where they can be authentic and real with their pain and with their doubts, with their questions, and with their wonderings. And they are searching for a community of people with whom they can have meaningful and authentic conversation. And let's face it, the search for substance, authenticity, and meaningful conversation does not typically direct someone to anything remotely resembling a Christian church. And yet people, and we are people, whether we know it or not, we desire meaningful relationships, transforming relationships that actually make a difference in who we are becoming and in what we value and prioritize and in the way we live. And so today I want to emphasize the priority of relationship in the Christian journey and here at Oak Hills Church. And I want to be candid with you about what I hope happens as we consider this today. I don't want to hide this behind some other statements, so I want you to know right off the top what I'm hoping happens as a result of today. I hope some of you sitting here today who are a little bit apprehensive about this whole thing called church and maybe a little bit nervous about connecting with others in the church and pretty much, much okay with coming and sitting and leaving each week. I hope if you're in any of those categories, You will take a step today and sign up for one of these fire pit conversations and maybe the connection will create a hunger for more connection and the Spirit of God will then do something through the relationships that are formed. See, we need the connection because relationships are where the details are transformed. Proverbs 27, verse 19. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Yeah, a little early for something so heavy. But as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Solomon, in his piercing wisdom, says, just as when we look into a still-watered lake and we can see our own reflection, our lives reflect who we actually are in the depths of our being. Our lives, in other words, reflect our heart. Solomon also says this in Proverbs 27:6 Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So a friend cares about this thing the Bible calls your heart. A friend cares about who you are. A friend cares about what your life is reflecting. And they will not settle for flattering. Instead, they will speak the truth even when speaking the truth hurts. And one more, maybe the most important one, and the one for us to hold as we think about our need for relationships. It's Proverbs 27 and it's verse 17. It's very simple. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So it is one thing to hover at 30,000 feet and talk about the Christian experience and talk in general terms about these big phrases like spiritual growth and transformation and change. It's one thing to fly up here at 30,000 feet, but it is quite another thing to drop down into the specific details of where I need to grow spiritually or where I need to experience transformation or change. Where do I need to be sharpened? to put it just really bluntly. And how am I going to discover precisely where I need to be sharpened? Of all the many details of my thought life and words and feelings I have and pains I deal with and insecurities that paralyze me, how will I discern where God wants to do some work to bring transformation, and then once I have a specific in mind, how am I going to actually be sharpened in that area? How will formation actually occur? Here's another way to think about this. How does the Spirit of God bring about transformation in the details of our heart or will, or in the details of our thoughts or attitudes or feelings or fears? or in the details of our self-perception? How does the Spirit of God actually work and move to bring about authentic growth and authentic change? And the answer is, any way He wants to. But one common way He does it is by putting one hunk of iron next to another hunk of iron, and as they collide with each other, they are both sharpened. So the Spirit often works to bring about transformation through the relationships we have with other people who are on the way toward Christ being formed in them. And so relationship with others who hunger for God's reshaping is not just important. It is a prerequisite if transformation is actually going to happen. It is really when church starts to be church. See, this is about being connected so the Spirit can do his thing. It's about being in it with other people. Iron, close enough, in close enough contact with other scraps of iron so they can sharpen each other and form each other. Let me leave it at this. There are all kinds of relationships that you and I have. And they don't all have to be iron sharpening iron relationships. But some of them do. We have to be with a few others who are hungry for God where we deal with stuff that matters. And here's the other thing. When we talk about transforming relationships like we're discussing here. This isn't about disclosing every secret and secret and dark thought. Those relationships are important. We probably need a person or two with whom we can share at that level. But this is not the kind of relationship we are talking about in this series. And this is not the kind of relationship happening around those fire pits. If we are sitting with two or three or ten other people who are searching for God at whatever level to whatever degree and searching for his good way to whatever degree, having a conversation about things that matter, the Spirit of God will be present. Something will happen. He will do a good work. And this is when church really starts to become church. Second, relationships are where the uninitiated are healed. Over the last couple of weeks, I've had two conversations with two different people, neither of whom are churchgoers. And in the course of the exchange, I mentioned this idea from our church Uh, uh, this idea of people from our church gathering around fires to have a conversation about meaningful topics. And I mentioned some of the topics people are talking about. And in both cases, with both of these people, in both of these conversations, without any hesitation, even though they have nothing to do with church and not much to do with God, there was an immediate interest in the idea. And this kind of enthusiastic reaction that a bunch of church people would actually do this. And, and I found this most intriguing, there was a desire on the part of both of these people to be a part of it. So the idea, at least in these two instances, struck a chord. And I've been thinking about, why is it striking a chord? Maybe two reasons. I think, for one, it was in sharp contrast to their perception of church and to their perception of church people probably related to, well, why would church people sit around and have conversations about meaningful topics when it seems like church people know everything about everything? So why why are they wasting time talking about it? Again, perception. But the other thing is, it seemed really significant to them that religious people would gather in a relaxed setting and talk about important things and here's the key, and make room for different perspectives and make room for different opinions, versus shoving a perspective and a opinion down people's throats. And I've been fascinated with the appeal of these fire pit conversations. What is this actually tapping into beneath the surface and the depths of the soul? Maybe even beyond what one is consciously aware of. And who knows the answer to this question? But I have a hunch. One part of the answer might be the innate longing to be included. To be welcomed at the table. Or in the language these days, this longing we all have to be invited to the fire and given a voice that actually matters, to count and to be included. For many years now, I have bored you with stories of my mechanical ineptness, and I wish I could stand here and say, you know, I've been exaggerating about that, (laughs) but I haven't been. So this may come as a surprise. But the summer after my sophomore year in college, I worked at a factory where I would attach these giant rolls of rubber fabric to a machine, and I would inspect the fabric, all of it. I would hit this button, and the fabric would roll, and I would inspect the fabric for tears and rips and flaws and holes. And if it passed my inspection, it went on to a career as rubber boots or fishing waders or rain suits, or umbrellas, or some other noble pursuit. I love the power. This roll of rubber fabric was all under my kingdom. And if I said it's good, it was good. And if I said it wasn't, it wasn't. So if it had too many rips or tears or flaws or holes, I would slap a rejected sticker on the whole roll and send it back to production where it would be used for Less noble purposes. And I gotta tell you, I believe one of the most common heartaches carried by people who live in our kind of cultural context is the pervasive and defining sense of rejection that is carved into their soul. And again, maybe even beyond their conscious awareness. So many people live their daily lives believing they have too many rips or tears or flaws or holes. So they don't qualify. They don't count. They don't matter. So they're not included or they're not welcome in the circle at the fire. We live amongst many who we might call the uninitiated, meaning they've never been affirmed or encouraged or upheld as a person who counts. They've never been initiated, in other words, into the club of those who count. No person of significance in their lives has ever looked into their eye or into their soul and unequivocally communicated to them that they matter and they count and their voice is important and they have what it takes and they belong. And so they live as the uninitiated, they live as the rejected. They live as a person who's been inspected and found to have too many tears and rips and flaws. And so this label of rejected has been stuck on them. And eventually they develop a self-understanding as someone who is rejectable. And most find a way to cope. Most find some way to dull the pain or many ways to dull the pain. Others find ways to hide behind achievement or success or outright denial. But here's the sacred hope. The uninitiated can find healing in relationship with people who love Christ and follow him. Unimaginable healing can occur way down at the level of the soul as people speak truth-soaked words of acceptance and encouragement and healing into the uninitiated. Jesus spent three years doing this. He spent three years reaching out and touching and looking into the eyes and looking into the souls and speaking to the hearts of uninitiated people. And he asks us to continue this. See, the simple truth that God loves can be healing for a person who lives under this label rejected. And I believe the Spirit of God puts us together in relationship to help heal the rips and tears and holes and flaws we carry in our own soul from living in a broken world. Part of any team or group or organization or church, it seems to me, is seeking to find its formula, meaning finding its particular way of fulfilling its particular mission. And I cannot think of anything more crucial to who we want to be as a congregation than to embody the healing power of God to welcome and initiate the myriad of uninitiated souls right here in our own church, in our city. ...and in our community. We become a healing community... ...for those who wear the rejected label. Third thing is we think about relationships. Relationships are where the different are dignified. A brief statement by a missions and cultural expert... ...has stuck with me for a long time. He says, the world runs on antagonisms. Now think about that for a second. The world runs on antagonism. The world is fueled by fights and arguments... And disagreements between people and groups who are different in some way. And often both sides scream and yell, or worse, and they offer all kinds of evidence to prove their point, make their case in an all out effort to win whatever win might happen to me. The world runs on antagonism. And you can drop this down into a more manageable narrative if you like. My business runs on antagonism. The place where I work runs on antagonism. My family runs on antagonism. My marriage runs on antagonism. Meaning, if there's not something to battle over, there's nothing to do. And we don't know what to do. The world runs on antagonism. And I think this all begins with the paradigm that a group of people are the standard or the norm or the right group. And so the others are the different, or the wrong group. So the lines get drawn, sides are chosen, and everything distills to who is in, who is out, who is good, who is bad, who is right, who is wrong. People and groups get defined by what they are against. It is us versus them, and where there is antagonism, as you well know, there is bound to be hostility. And this is how sports works. Lines are drawn, sides are chosen. The 49ers finally have a quarterback. But now the Raiders have John Chucky Gruden. So there's the line. There's the battle. Who's going to win? Neither will win. Neither team is any good. Anyway, (laughs) did I say that? Yeah, I guess I did. So this is how sports works. This is how sixth grade works. The cool people are over here. The different ones are over there. So let me ask you something. Have you ever been labeled the different for whatever reason if you have then you know the label can cut a deep deep wound that lasts a long long time well this is the exact thing that was facing the apostle paul and he writes about this in ephesians chapter 3 and i'm going to start this off by reading from verses verses 11 and 12 He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Now, this is what he is saying to the non-Jews. He's saying, you were once the different. You were on the outside looking in. You were the excluded. You were unwelcomed foreigners. You were less than. And then he puts a punctuation mark on it. You were without hope and without God. And let's face it, this is the tenor of our world and of our country. We are divided politically. Economically, religiously, racially, there's gender division, we're divided over sexual orientation issues, and a million other issues, and this virus of antagonism is loose in the church as well. And it threatens the unity of those who profess to follow Jesus. So in the church we find the labeling, the us versus them, good Christian versus bad Christian. We find the ferocious quest to win and not lose, to be right and not wrong. And we find the hostility toward those who think or act or believe or vote or look different than we think a Christian is supposed to look or act or th- believe, or vote, or think. And maybe I'm nuts, but I think the church should be a community where the different find dignity. The church should be a community of people who are across the board different, learning to love one another, and be with one another, and learning from one another, and setting our differences at the foot of the cross, knowing that they are no longer what primarily defines us. This guy named Vincent Bacote wrote a little book called The Political Disciple. This is what he says. Those who become political others because of their issues and sometimes because of their rhetoric and behavior morph into objects to be opposed at any cost because the stakes are high. Yet, the path of sanctification challenges us to see political opponents as neighbors we must love and regard as fellow human beings. Continuing in Ephesians chapter 3, start up again in verse, uh, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Profound statement to Jewish people and Gentiles who had a wall of antagonism between them they thought was insurmountable and the Apostle Paul says through Christ that wall has been destroyed. Iron sharpens iron. So I want you to know this, and I believe this actually jumps off the pages of the Bible. I do not want a homogenous church comprised of people who are the same economically, politically, theologically, racially, age wise, gender wise, or otherwise. The truth we believe we possess, I think, is purified in the furnace of difference. Iron sharpens iron. We gravitate toward those who are like us, but we grow when we are with those who aren't. One simple example, as I'm sure you're aware, this is the weekend and tomorrow is the day when we recognize And we remember Martin Luther King and it is a holiday and there are various activities and marches and ways of remembering and recognizing the work he did and the message he proclaimed. And you know something? There's all sorts of thinking and rhetoric and debate around something like Martin Luther King Day. Some of it is just lodged in our own heads and we keep it a secret. Some of it comes out when we're with people that we think are going to be able to handle some of our comments about it. But I got to say something, if we sit, if you sit, if I sit and listen to the stories of those who grew up as African-Americans in areas of our country where this meant you were different and not in a good way, the rhetoric and the hostility and the antagonism, the endless debate and all these opinions about this or that fade away because we're with an actual person who is different and we're finding out who they are and what their life is like, and it changes everything. And I think the Spirit moves in profound ways in those interactions, in those relationships. And I think the Spirit does something in us we desperately need done when we are with those who are different than we are. So being in relationship with those who think differently than we do is not a sign of weakness or creeping liberalism. It is actually a sign of strength and a sign that we believe in God's truth and we actually have confidence in His Spirit. The inability to be with those who think differently than we do is, in fact, a sign of weakness. The inability to be in conversation with those whose opinion on whatever topic differs from ours is a sign of weakness and may be an indication we are a bit unsure of the truth we proclaim and we are a bit unsure if the truth is actually true. And it may suggest we lack confidence in the Spirit of God. See, I want us to learn how to learn from those who see and feel the world differently than we do. I want us to be so convinced of the truth of the gospel, we aren't insecure when someone disagrees with us on one thing or the other. Our confidence is not dependent on our winning this or that battle. Our confidence is in God and in His Spirit. He brings the change. He will work this out. And our job is to be faithful to Him and trust Him and be near to those who need Him. So let me ask it again. Have you ever been the different Have you ever been in a situation where you know, I don't fit here? I remember years ago in India, way up in the northeast corner of India, in a place I didn't even know existed, had to fly so long I thought I was never going to get off the airplane. Walking down the middle of this dirt road, and I can feel everybody looking at me. White guy, bigger guy, square jaw, the whole bit. And as I'm walking, I'm thinking, man, I'm I'm the different one. I'm the one that doesn't fit. And they all know it, and I know it. Have you ever been the different? I bet you've been the different on the outside, looking in, peering through the window at others who are gathered at the table, or peering through the fence hole at the others who are sitting around the fire wondering, why wasn't I invited? For whatever reason, locked out. You ever been there? And I'll just leave it at this. Can you imagine how long we would have to sit here if we were to plot our way through the Bible and read about those outsiders whom God invited to the inside? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the good work you are up to in our midst. We're grateful for the gentleness of grace, the expansiveness of grace. We're grateful for the stories of people in our own congregation who are experiencing you in fresh ways. And we continue to pray for the soul of who we are as a people our identity as a congregation, the values we will stand on a hill and uphold, the things we will not waver on. We pray that we will be people who are unwavering in our commitment to truth and to love and to one another. We continue to pray that in the midst of whatever you're up to here at Oak Hills that relationships will form connections will be made people will step away from fear and into relationship and they will find in that connection that your spirit is active and present and moving and speaking and new things will open up that perhaps have not been experienced before And so we continue to pray that you will shape us into a church where relationships are our priority and we walk together toward you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.